Welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. I really enjoyed this one. Jordan and I talk broadly about market conditions and sort of where Bitcoin fits into all this. I don't really even know what to say. It's pretty good. I recommend listening to it. All right, let's go. Morning, Kendall. Good morning. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Yeah. Episode is this episode 10 officially? Number 10. So we're on all digits now. Let's go. Double digits. I love it. That's the most podcast I've ever done um, for a single show. So I, you know, we'll keep trekking towards lowering the percentage of podcasters that we're in, you know. <laughs> soon enough we'll be in the top one percent hey we'll just real, continue on the like, quest 20 episodes or something <laughs> real quick i want to i want to give another thanks to our our guest last weekend or last week uh pal yeah. sam bitcoiner that was yeah, uh, for sure very very thankful for him coming on the on the pod yeah we'll have to bring him back at some point too because yeah there's tons of stuff we didn't even get to but that was so such a fun introduction and yeah I think um, doing interviews every once in a while, it's going to be the move for us. So mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Stay tuned. We've got another, we won't reveal it today, but we've got potentially another interview in the offing that I think everybody would enjoy. So I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. So, all right. So let's get into what do we want to talk about today? Other than the fact that we're all poor. um okay so so you had a tweet last night that i retweeted that was pretty much saying everything's down gold's flat more or less right Mm -hmm. okay so let's start there so i think just so everyone knows i think we're going to get into that conversation and then we're going to also talk about um, algorithmic stable coins, which is what, you know, the Terra Luna debacle was surrounding. And maybe we'll touch on a little bit more, more of the points from that fallout, but also what is the future of that? Cause I mean, I've, I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter. People are still trying to pick up the pieces and see where does it go from here? So we'll get to both of those, but yeah, let's, let's, I want to hear more about your tweet from last night. Cause I mean, it's very interesting. Normally, Normally, if the market's down like that, like it was yesterday, three or four percent, um, you would see, you would see gold up, right? And it's pretty much flat. Well, okay, so let's get into it. This is going to be a market market heavy episode. So, for all those financial people out there, this is for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So most of this year, actually, I've been I've been pretty bullish on gold and. Um, a number of people are, and uh, it may come as a surprise to, to the Bitcoiners. Look, the reality of the situation is that Bitcoin is a form of digital gold, but it is still super young in its price discovery phase. So Bitcoin is still being treated as as a risk asset, whereas yeah. 
gold has like thousands of years of credibility. Um, whereas, you know, Bitcoin has a decade. Um, yeah, I think people still have, I mean, we were talking about it at lunch the other, the other day, it's like people still have that, the whole hang up with gold is something I can actually hold real estate in the same way is like something I can touch. I can hold it's physical. And even though Bitcoiners know that Bitcoin is physical, it is information, which is real, something that you can represent with a physical thing. Um, it still doesn't feel that way for especially the people who have lots of capital to allocate. So yeah, so it still feels like this thing that's kind of out there in the ether that I can't touch. And so it's, it doesn't feel safe at a time like this for a lot of people. Yeah. And the, the like central banks still own a significant portion of gold. And so, right. and, and functionally no central banks currently own Bitcoin, at least, right. you know, not in any meaningful way. Um, so yeah, the, like the story of gold right now is a story of the broader market and the, the, the global economy right now is uh, a disaster. I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I think confidently we can say that at this, in this moment we are in a recession. Um, not that that framing even really matters in my opinion, but the point is things are, things are bad out there. Really, <clears throat> so there's a big, there's a big hangup in among investors. I follow a lot of investors. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I have my finger on the pulse here. The, the, the number one mistake that I see investors and like commentators making, everybody's hung up on the Federal Reserve's interest rates. And um, especially everybody in the crypto space, or you know, because all these VCs start developing a narrative and then it's the current thing, basically. And yeah. uh, and like the current thing among the VCs right now is oh, the Fed is tightening. And <laughs> look, I'm not gonna pretend that that doesn't matter. That does matter, but um the broader narrative or like the, 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 the broader force here is geopolitics, in my opinion, geopolitics. Yeah. And um, specifically, you have this sort of like uh, hand-wavy gray conflict between the United States and Russia. And somewhere in there is China. We don't know exactly it is China. I don't know exactly where China fits in there, but, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, that's, that's the broader force and, and, and how that instantiates itself in financial markets is liquidity starts drying up. And so, um, well, I, I mean, functionally what that means is that the world starts going back into dollars, everybody. So like a, the, the U S dollar is an asset class in and of itself in the same way that like U S equities are an asset class or U S treasuries are an asset class 
or emerging markets are an asset class, the US dollar is an asset class. And so whenever you see all, all the markets turn red and go down, really what that actually means is not that the markets are less valuable, it means that more people are buying US dollars basically, right? So US dollar goes up and all these markets go down. Um, so, so yeah, there's a, there's a flock, there's a flight to safety, which is in the form of us dollars. And, uh, right. yeah, there's a number of places we can go from there, but I'll pause. Yeah. I mean, that, that was kind of my, my knee jerk reaction to your tweet was like, well, if, if money is flooding from the NASDAQ, then it's, but it, but gold is steady. I mean, yeah, it just feels like people are just sitting and waiting in cash right now, which is kind of what we've just, what I know we kind of talked about just personally, what, what, um, like you were telling me the, I don't know if it was on the pod or off the pod, but you know, the contrarian view is, is to go into cash. And the reason it's contrarian is because cash is an awful place to be right now. We know because of what we're seeing out of um, the CPI numbers and stuff. But it's also the safest place, quote unquote, to be for the broader market. Obviously, I know Bitcoiners who are maxis are going to say, you know, it's it's the opposite, whatever. But when you're talking to people who have not gone down that rabbit hole, the vast majority of people are saying, well, let's just sit in cash for a little bit and see how this all plays out. And then, and that happened in 2008, right? I mean, where people were essentially just, a lot of cash was sitting on the sideline and that book that I've been going through the power, is it called the power law? Dude, that I got to get you a copy of that book. That, that thing is really interesting just to mm. hear about how venture venture capital kind of more of the history about it. But yeah, I mean, he talks about, I'm in the point in the book where he's talking about in, um, you know, like the, the dot uh, com bubble crash and, and even on the VC side, I mean, those people, at that time, they're taking the most risk because they're spreading out money into investments that most of which will go to zero. And then they're just trying to get one or two unicorns uh, a decade or something. So, I mean, that's on the, that's on one end of the spectrum, right? People who are like the most risky with their money and they're trying to hit home runs. And then you've got other people who are just trying to like maintain, pretty much just try to beat inflation every year so that they can retire right and those people are really they're like well i'm really holding back i i'm really worried um and then on the vc front it's i'm sure that deals we're going to be listening to nick carter's podcast and less and less of those deals are going to be getting done like how they read off of all those mm-hmm. just because everyone's pretty much like i'm i'm a little worried and i'm just going to sit in cash and see where we all where we all go with this yeah there, there's a saying going around today, which is there's no, there's nowhere to hide. Like there's, you can't sit in cash because cash is inflating away at 8% a year. You can't sit in equities because they're all tanking. You can't sit in bonds because the inflation is, uh, is higher than the bond yield. So there's a saying that there's nowhere to hide, but realistically there is a place to hide and it's us dollars. And I know that it sucks that, they are inflating away, but like, that's the, you're just looking for the least of all evils. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's where it is right now. Now, 
it's a short-term perspective and uh and uh so if you're asking me over the long term that's a different that's a different conversation um and specifically the problem with the u.s dollar is the weaponization of it and weaponization of it um and again this goes back to my geopolitical theme the fact that the united states government froze was was like 600 billion of central bank reserves russian central bank reserves yeah that means that we can we are admitting that we are now going to use our currency as a weapon and so um have you ever seen the movie um the Orient Express. Is, are you talking about the Orient Express? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Orient, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've seen that. Where it's like a murder. Yeah, yeah. A murder, murder, on murder, murder on the Orient Express. Yes. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen it. Luke Roman has this this like analogy, which okay, spoiler alert. Sorry for those who have who haven't seen the movie, but in the movie, <laughs> there's a murder. And the, on, the, on this train and there's a detective on the train and he starts investigating, you know, who, who did the murder. And uh, it turns out, spoiler alert, that basically everybody on the train other than the investigator was in on the murder, right? So they basically all teamed up and murdered this person. Luke Roman uses this analogy to, to describe the US dollar, mm-hmm. which is that uh, if you are basically especially if you're not like a, if you're like a non-Western country, which is the vast majority of the world. So if you're China, India, Russia, a number of South American countries, another number of African countries, if you are, if you are anywhere in, in, if you're in any of these countries and you see that the U S government is going to use their currency as a weapon, then you're going to start asking yourself, well, why would I want that? Like, why would I want to arm a potential enemy with a weapon? I would rather disarm them, right? And so, um, there, the 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 idea is that. Um, so anyway, like in the short term, people flock to cash because it's the least of all evils. But over the long term, there's this like possibility that people are like, well, hold on, I don't think that's the best solution. We're going to need to figure something else out. But then there's a contrarian take too, which I can give if we want, but I'll, I'll stop there. Now let's hear the contrarian. I want to hear it. Okay. So there, like, I'm, I'm conflicted on this. I don't know where I stand, but I, 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 there is an argument to be made that the future of money is twofold. It is Bitcoin and it's us dollars so mm-hmm. it's possible that well let's say 30 years from now 40 years from now um retirement age for us the okay. there's functionally two forms of currencies in the world everything else has basically been taken off the table it's gone to zero and the two two options are bitcoin and dollars right um I think that this is a, a, a pretty likely scenario, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I think it's likely. 
And it all comes down to there, there, I would, there's so many people that so many Bitcoiners are going to take issue with this perspective, but there is a reasonable argument to be made that fiat currencies are the optimal solution. And that's not to say that they are the only solution, but, but they're, but I can, I can make a compelling argument that a fiat currency is better than Bitcoin and I'm a Bitcoiner. Okay. So I want you to to know that what it, what it comes down to. So I actually view Bitcoin as a monetary instrument, similar to how I view the second amendment and similar to how I view nuclear weapons. Um, so let's take nuclear weapons as an example. People think, uh, you know, obviously if you have a nuclear weapon, you think it's like an offensive instrument. It's something that you can use on your enemies. When in reality, we haven't had a nuclear weapon deployed since 1944, as far as I'm familiar. Yeah, I think so. And so in reality, actually what nuclear weapons do is they, they increase defense. So counterintuitively, it's like a, it's more of a defense mechanism. And, um, the, and so another, another way that I think about Bitcoin is the U S government's system of checks and balances, right? Like what you, the, the reality, the pragmatic reality of the world is that it's not black and white, right? The, the answer is almost always somewhere in the middle and, not to be like a fence sitter, but, <laughs> but, uh, but it's true. And like the, the way that you find that middle ground is you have to have a system of checks and balances and nuclear weapons are a system of checks and balances. And the second amendment is a system of checks and balances. The second amendment basically is, is there such that the government is not in control. Okay. If push comes to shove, the government is not in control. The people are in control now, but you can, you know, just, the, just the saying that, just saying that is, is the thing, right? It's like the option. It's the, it's the option for such a system or for, for such an outcome um, that is the value. And so I see Bitcoin sort of as a similar instrument in that, if you're asking me, like, um, I think that so right now, like, 99% of all the world's money is a fiat currency, and I think right. that that is a huge issue, a huge issue, because there is no way to check that system. There's no way to enforce punishment on that system because um, it's the only option. And, uh, pragmatically, I think what the solution is, is like, we'll call it 60, 40, like maybe 60% of the money needs to be fiat and 40% needs to be Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think when you've heard, um, cause I know Safedine has been trying to craft arguments for, 
you know, just, just for his own purposes of saying like, well, let me take the opposite view. I've heard him talk a little bit about um, how the US dollar and the fiat system has allowed so much innovation to happen in a short amount of time by pretty much pulling all of future gains forward into the present. And so is that like from a perspective of knowing like, okay, the Bitcoin is pretty much your gun to defend yourself if you really, really need, need it. Um, but as long as everything's, as long as the economy is in a good spot and all of that globally, we could trade in, or I guess we could be forced to trade in US dollars just generally, right? If like, I mean, a lot of it seems like it has to do with this oil debacle too, like which way we go with how, how oil gets priced. Is it in the, I always get it mixed up. Is it yuan is Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. The yen is Japanese. Mm-hmm. So if things are priced in the yuan um, versus US dollar for places like Russia or um, Iran or whatever, I mean, doesn't, I mean, that's kind of like Ray Dalio's, his whole argument right now, it seems like is yeah, that the Chinese I yuan is, is overtaking dis- potentially. I disagree with that though. Like, I think that that's a pipe dream. I still think that the US dollar is hands down the most credible system. Um, China well, and then what do you China think? Isn't even close. China isn't even close to being, their, their currency is not even close to being competitive in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you got to think through like, how reliant specifically Europe is on Russia at this point, you know, mm-hmm. and how the long-term and how even for the United States, like I, it sounds like um, from what I was hearing earlier in the week, it sounds like we're going to start importing oil and from Venezuela and pretty much uh, making, making good with that, with that regime, which we know is not good. Um and so it's like if the Western worlds continue to rely on these bad actors for a really crucial resource, you know, are we kind of at their mercy and what, what they want to get paid in? They can, they can use that. <clears throat> they can certainly use that as leverage. They can use it as, as a position, but ultimately it will be, um, I mean, that's an offensive move, which is ultimately they, they will lose in the end, in my opinion, but they can do it. They can try. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a card that they can play, but it is a pretty extreme card. Yeah. Um, I, I just feel, I feel like it's much more applicable for, for Europe than it is for us. But, you know, if you start seeing major European countries having to do that, pretty much being forced to, they don't have any choice because they've got you know the environmentalist on one on one hand saying we can't produce this pretty much in-house quote unquote um so we need to import it in from a faraway place but that this, faraway place is forcing us to pay in a currency we don't want to necessarily i totally agree with you that this is the singular issue of the western world for the next five years in my opinion which is that we have been um, convinced that ESG is here and we need to move to it right now. And if the politics keep playing out that way, every single time that we can, we play that card, we are losing 
to functioning, we're losing to Russia and yeah. not just Russia, but other, other people that are deemed bad actors, Venezuela, Iran, places like this. Um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. This is, this is the singular issue. What we need to do, frankly, in my opinion, is uh, move to nuclear. I think there needs to, yeah. I think that the United States needs to have a Manhattan style project to, to figure out nuclear. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean by, by figure it out. I mean, like, see the problem with nuclear is that's just dangerous. Right. So mm-hmm. right. we need to figure out a way to make it not dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just seems like we still are living in this upside down world where, I mean, I'm sure you saw, I think it was yesterday that, um, that, what is it called? That, um, Tesla was taken off of that index that like oh, yeah. the SG index. S- S&P I mean, that's insane. They yeah, were taken, I mean, they were taken out of the S P 500. Yeah. I mean, that's totally insane. That's totally bonkers. Like, yeah, I don't mean to be extreme here, but there's like legit Marxist style behavior here from, from, from the high positions that is, uh, it's highly alarming, like, because, yeah. because it's going to impact everybody. Yeah. I mean, Tesla should be, they are the leading force, at least the most popular one that people, everyone knows they've heard the name Tesla. They know at least something about the company and Elon. And no matter what you think about Elon, environmentalists should be cheering him the hardest for what he's doing to transform and bring and pretty much, I mean, I think I I heard John Kerry yesterday say, he was pretty much talking through like all how quickly we need to start moving to get all this climate stuff under control. And I can't remember the categories. He was saying like, okay, this thing, we need to like move five times faster. But then when he said the adoption into EV for, for normal people, he said, we need to move into that 20 times faster. Right. So if you buy that, like Tesla is the leading, they're leading that, that whole way and and for yeah it's really weird it's like this weird beef it's almost it's a it's it's a tell it's a tell right so whenever you're playing poker and somebody uh you know has like a tell and you're like oh i know that they're lying about something it's a tell it's a tell that the left does not overwhelmingly support tesla it's a tell yeah yeah well and and the last thing i'll say about elon if you guys have not if People have not gone and listened to the All In podcast like a couple of days ago, maybe Monday this week. Really interesting. They had him on for like forty minutes. So yeah. Oh, Elon. I <clears throat> okay. I want to say things about Elon. <laughs> I know we can't. We can't. Yeah, we can't just glide over it. I mean, <laughs> too much has been it, said. <laughs> is any is anybody else like tired of hearing about Elon Musk? Like, I don't <laughs> understand <clears throat> the fixation on Elon Musk. But, um, but nevertheless, like, frankly, the dude just needs to stick to rockets. Okay. Elon Musk building rockets. I love that version of Elon Musk, Elon Musk building electric cars. You know, I think probably a pretty good guy. I like him. Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter. I personally am not a fan of this guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, like the, there just comes a point where you just need to like, you need to recognize that you're trying to do too too many things and it's uh it's a net negative um ultimately 
I, I did listen to that podcast or I listened to like the mm-hmm. first, the first half actually, because I actually turned it off because I was just like kind of annoyed. Um, but, but uh, disclaimer, we disagree on this. <laughs> oh, do we? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I do feel like I'm a little bit of a lone wolf here and uh, perhaps I'm just, um, I could be being irrational. I just think he's um, such a contrarian at this point that it's at least, it's just at least refreshing, I guess, to see a really high, high level person in terms of wealth, in terms of running companies, kind of just not take any of the bullshit and just kind of say, you know, this is what I actually think. And if you don't like it, then like F off. And yeah, okay. <clears throat> I'm and with he's you. like such an innovative, like the thing to me is like, it, it nobody really should like care what he's what he thinks on like politics or if he's switching one side or the other it's like who cares this man is literally the greatest innovator of our entire generation he is like he's our steve jobs and i mean you might argue that he's gonna end up he'll end up doing way more than than jobs was able to do especially if he lives longer and so i mean when he i, I think it was towards the end so you might not have caught it when he was kind of talking through like how many companies are within Tesla? That was kind of mind-boggling to me. He was explaining. Did you get to that point, or do you do you remember? Uh, I, I have I have heard him talk about this before. Yes. Yeah, where he is essentially like, okay, just take the the regular car company like Ford. Here's what they do. And they essentially like they don't build a lot of their own stuff. They essentially assemble it and then they ship it off to a dealership. And he he was essentially saying, you know, we are vertically vertically integrated where we're doing almost everything. We're building, you know, we're a software company. We are a car company. We're a dealership company. We're an insurance company. Like all these different things all into one. And it's just crazy. Like the fact that he just, and that's on, that's just Tesla. That's not even going, that's not even figuring out how to make it more cheap to go into, into space. And I was with some friends uh, like the last, uh, group I saw in Lexington last night, some old friends um, went to school together and they're very worried about the climate. And I mean, I want to get your take on this. My understanding, it seemed like of Elon's solution to climate change is we need to figure out how to escape <laughs> and to like, m- like go to other planets more or less um, once, once the oceans start to boil or whatever. Is that, is that your understanding of how he thinks about it? Like what he's trying to get at is make it where we're like a multi, multi-planet species kind of thing or no? No. Okay. Um, That's a, that might be a big tangent, but that was just something that came up. I didn't know if that was. No, uh, I, I like this conversation. The, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, he does say that he wants to make life multi-planetary. It's not really for, to escape climate change. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I think my look. Um, I think that I am being a bit of a bit of a midwit over, over Elon. So I'll admit that. Uh, I'm like the person in the middle. Is like, no, no, you, you have to understand. Like, I'm that guy. Because <laughs> uh, the guy, undeniably, is fighting a good fight. Good for him. Good on him. I think that my shtick is. Well, I don't know. I think, I mean, I like the guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think, no, I think you're, I think your sense of him being involved in too many things is, is warranted. I think that, yeah, he really needs to understand that he is only one person and he cannot solve all of the issues. Like really, we don't want a world where one very rich, powerful person solves all of the problems. We want it much more decentralized than that. I'm, I'm, I'm more impressed with the work of, of Jack Dorsey in these days than Elon Musk, Mm. because I think Jack Dorsey has, does a better job at accomplishing things gracefully. Whereas Elon Musk is more like break everything and then rebuild it. And I'm like, well, like, look, I actually think that's a great strategy for, for like startups and entrepreneurs, but you got to realize, dude, you are the richest man on the planet on, on paper. You got massive, you got to have like a space exploration company. You have the, the largest EV company. Like this is no longer about destruction. This is about like, I think that when I look at Elon, when I think about, how do I say this? <laughs> but I think about like what, okay, like what kind of movie would Elon like to watch? I reckon Elon Musk would like to watch Blade Runner. Now, uh, by the way, I think when I look at, um, I have Vitalik Buterin's Twitter thread open on my screen right now. I think Vitalik mm-hmm. Buterin, what kind of movie would Vitalik Buterin like to watch? I also think he'd like to watch Blade Runner. Look, I love Blade Runner personally, myself, Kendall. I, I watch, I've watched it numerous times. I'm just saying that um, <clears throat> that is a dystopian future. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, if you are a person in power and in leadership, like you, that's not the, that's not the ideal, um, Mm -hmm. the ideal scenario perspective. Yeah. Whereas like, I don't think that Jack Dorsey is like, I don't think that he views the world through that, through that lens. Right. I'm using him as, as an example. Yeah. No, I think that's an interesting comparison. I just think that Elon, he's taken so much shit at this point. I mean, boo hoo. So sorry, many. but I don't feel bad for him at all. I mean, <laughs> do it but, to him. But you, he does but it don't to you himself. think that? But don't you think we should have a culture of rewarding, even if it's lip service or like the you know the White House won't even say Tesla. I mean, it's just crazy. I just feel like there's just this weird like third grade beef between between the administration and literally the person you should be championing the most if your if your goal is to um, decrease the amount of greenhouse gases that go into the atmosphere and, and, like, and go against the whole climate change thing. Okay, I got They're just say. shooting themselves in the foot. Like I'm talking about the administration on like all cylinders. I mean, that's a broader mm-hmm. conversation, but you know what I'm talking about? Like just with the climate change stuff specifically. I, I got to, I got to keep, I got to say another, some more things. The, uh, I, <clears throat> I understand that perspective and I, frankly, I do not know which perspective is correct. Um, but again, I think that the issue that I take with, with that perspective that you just laid out is the destructive nature of it. And, um, like destruction is good to a point, but you know, beyond that it's, it's a negative. And, I see this, this like cultural fixation 
on Silicon Valley startups and like move fast, break things, break things, creative destruction. Look, at some point you have to like take a deep breath and recognize that the demographics of the world are not that of Silicon Valley. They are, like Silicon Valley is living in the year 3000 and everybody else is living in the world, living in the year 1000. And um, like, clearly I want to progress to the year 3000, but I think, I think ultimately my shtick is look, I have parents who are 60 years old and we have a huge demographic problem where a majority of the population is older people. We have a population decline. And, and so look, if you think that you're going to walk in and just like, I, this, I think about this with Bitcoin too, in like the, you know, the global bond market versus Bitcoin. If you think you're just going to walk in and destroy the baby boomers lives, I think, I think you have something coming for you. Like you're not going to be able to do that. And, and frankly, you shouldn't because like it's, it's destructive, it's harmful. And, and it's one thing to, to promote a brighter future and, and put your money where your mouth is and even do it uh, to a large degree. It's another thing to like try to destroy the previous generation. Like, I just think that that is a, it's, it's, it's morally incorrect and it's also a losing strategy. That's, I think that's for, I think that's the, the other perspective. Again, I don't know which one is the right one. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like I talk to a lot of, I mean, cause you know, I talk to people about money all the time. I feel like there's a lot of young people who kind of feel, they feel like the, that generation, not everyone, obviously, but the ones who were in power screwed us over. You know, it's kind of the whole Adam Curry um, perspective of like, while we were all partying and everything, all this, all this shit happened where now I mean, literally, I'll talk to people who do well, you know, and this is best case scenario for a young person. And they still have trouble, like pretty much getting ahead and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's well, Well, let's say, is there a reckoning that's deserved for obviously not all all boomers, um, but it's essentially like they made decisions that are affecting us now and that will affect our children and grandchildren way worse if we stay in this current system and we don't destroy to some degree, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to oh. get, I don't want, I want to be careful with my language, but you know, just I, like I, I hear what switching you're saying, to yeah. something different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a lot of truth in what you just said. Um, but um, like, I think people get a little hung up on like the way things should be Mm -hmm. and like and they also think about like oh man i have regrets or like i'm mad about something that happened in the past and like my opinion on that is that like that's all worthless all of that line of thinking is totally worthless and what 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 does have value is accepting the way things are currently and then having a realistic approach about how we, you know, make things better in the future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole, you can't just wallow in that and become and, and like given to the victim mentality. 
but I guess on the broader scale, you know, like I know some people who I can look at them and say, all right, things are not looking great. So what you need to do is you need to go figure out how to increase your income and you need to try to decrease your expenses so you can save more money so that you can then afford the house that went up 30, 40% in the past two years. Whereas either the boomer, <laughs> the boomer bought it at, you know, almost close to historically low interest rate. And, and it's also, you know, doubled in price over the 10 years that they've owned it. And that's the hard part is like, yes, I agree completely. You'd never want to, you never want to like go down that path where you're like, well, I'm just a victim. I can't change my circumstances. But at what point do people pretty much hit a breaking point where they're like, my will is not strong enough to, to make up for pretty much the, the um, purchasing power of the US dollar going down so, so far. All the while, I see people who created this system, they are just getting rich as crap. And then they are, and then they're just passing that down to a few, you know, lucky beneficiaries over the next 20 years. All that to say, I'm not, I, I'm not, I think it, it lends itself to we need to fix the monetary policy before things turn to like violence. I don't know if you saw, figures yeah, it like, Buy Bitcoin. That's that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I saw it. I have to find. I think I want to say it was Sri Lanka. It seems like there's some crazy mm-hmm. stuff going on right now in Sri Lanka. Is, am I yeah. am I right on the on the Correct. country? Correct. Where there's like you know that people have actually taken to the streets, and it's a, it, it's essentially like a class kind of warfare kind of thing where the poor and the middle class are essentially fed up, and I just feel like there's a growing sentiment of even if I work the three jobs and I save all the money that I try to make, I still can't get ahead. And if that's true, then that means that the American dream is let's just say not what it once was. I Not fully what it once was. And that's, that's a, that is like spirit killing, that's that's huge because that's how it, a it lot is. of our innovation has happened because of that belief. So uh, I, I'm glad you brought up this perspective. I want to comment on it. I totally agree that that is the world we find ourselves in today, that the millennial has no wealth and they have to work super hard. And even if they work super hard, you know, good luck. Mostly the millennials that have any wealth. They got it from the, you know, they, they inherited it. Let's just be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, but the, the, the future, okay. So ARK Invest's whole, whole shtick is technological innovation leads to deflation. I, I am of the opinion that over long time scales, that is the correct, that's what's going to happen over the coming decades. And so, um, oh, there's a, there's a line to, there's a tightrope to walk here. So I think that, I think that things are actually getting cheaper um, in terms of purchasing power over broad timescales. Uh, so I'm specifically commenting for Americans um, on this mm-hmm. on this topic. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think things get cheaper over time. And so, like, um, now I think that there it's really bumpy. The ride is very bumpy. But over time, technological innovation leads to 
economic efficiencies. Um, so I know people get like, <clears throat> I've, I know I, I have these thoughts. I'm pretty successful and I have these thoughts too. And, you know, I know people very close to me that are in much worse situations. I can only imagine what they think. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that it's easy to think that today because the, the past was, is, is different than what the future will be in the future. Um, the future will be more abundant than it is today, mm-hmm. um, counterintuitively. And so, um, if you try to measure your wealth, you know, looking backwards, I think that, um, you're just kind of only going to find negative thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas like, if you think about what the future, um, it may be a different, different scenario. Now, the, <clears throat> the other side of that is the whole, like, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we're here to battle. That's what Bitcoin is here to battle, really, in my opinion, is yeah. that um, we, 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 can, uh, we can agree that we want like technological innovation, make things more abundant, but we also don't want to sacrifice our freedoms in the process. We don't want to sacrifice our right to privacies. That's the big one with, with digital mm-hmm. technology. We don't want to sacrifice our ability to own a home. Okay, we if we're living in a country where everybody's just renters, that's a highly depressing. From BlackRock. <laughs> yeah, highly depressing. You don't want that. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's just like a tightrope to walk between like we want to support innovation and things becoming more efficient, but we also want to um, you know, make sure we don't sacrifice our rights. Yeah. But if there's no appetite from either major again, just U.S. political party to actually run a uh, budget surplus. I forgot the term even existed. Um, <laughs> there's no appetite to do that, right? And and so every year you're having to print money to make up to make up the difference of what you bring in versus what you spend out. And then all the while we're heading into a little bit higher interest rates and we'll see where those go eventually. So the debt is increasing. Um, like what I get, what I agree with what you're saying on the technological advances the, it just inherently creates deflation, but I guess like, what is the future if no one's saying, Hey, we need to get to a point where we're not printing so much money every year where the, stock to flow ratio of the US dollar is so is low compared to some other hard money yep. like gold or bitcoin. Bitcoin, bitcoin is the answer, right? So yeah. yeah. This, this is this is what I mean. It it becomes a check on the system. If what it really is is an insurance on politicians mm. making making bad decisions. Um and it needs to be much much larger than it is today in order for that to be effective. You know, yeah. interestingly enough, this is Jeff Booth's whole spiel. Right. Bitcoin is actually a deflationary mo- like monetary system. It's going to make things cheaper, not more expensive. Right. And it does that by, by keeping politicians in check, making sure that they can't print too much money. Um, and, and then just na- letting the natural forces of the market, market innovations uh, sort of take hold. Yeah. Do you have any comments on like, on um practically how that happens like how that transition if there if there's like a a summary of how that transition 
occurs or because that's something I've thought about, but I've not come to a great conclusion on what does it actually look like for the transition to to have a check from the people on the monetary system? Because right now, obviously, oh, Powell's big. unelected and and he pretty much controls the globe. I mean, I would say Jerome Powell is the most powerful man on planet Earth and he's unelected. Well, so Bitcoin needs to be much bigger. It right. needs to be much bigger. It needs to be well over a million dollars a coin. It needs to be probably 5 million a coin. And then yeah. and probably 10 million is when politicians will start getting their act together. Um, but I haven't done a ton of thinking, to be honest on this. Like, yeah. what's, the, what's the transition? However, I'll say, I, I listened to David Sachs on Pomp's podcast yesterday. Okay. I, re- I recommend people listen to that. It's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and he made a compelling argument, which was that um, I, th- I think what we're describing here is, is, is driven through populism. And so populism becomes the popular political movement. And, yeah. you know, like traditionally you would think of this as like, you know, supporting the working class, right? And traditionally that's what the left was, but now the left is not that at all. The left is ruled by the professional class and the, and the right, the, the Republicans are actually going through a big transition politically right now to sort of support this populism movement. And I think that it's going to be successful. And I, I, th- well, I think that's the current uh, leading, uh, leading idea. But yeah. But, but yeah, I haven't done much more thought other than that in terms of how, how, this, how the transition goes. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, we started with gold is flat. Markets are down. That was a, that was a really interesting conversation. We covered a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of topics. I love it, though. Yeah, that's pretty what good. Time is it? At some point, well, we want to talk about Luna and algorithmic stable coins, but we won't do that today. So we'll do yeah. that. Maybe, maybe we'll do that next week. I do have a lot of thoughts on the concept of stability. I'll give you a little teaser. Actually, I, I think that my next writing piece is going to be on stability. So we'll see. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, trying to think if there's anything else to say. I don't think so. Cool. Well, that was a good talk. Lots to think about for me. So hopefully everyone got, they learned some new perspective. Me and Kendall going back and forth, going at it. (laughs) So yeah, that was great. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We will see you next week.